Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis how Abram followed God the right way and the right time in leaving his homeland, but it took patience. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. There's only one true God. There's only one true God of glory. He is the God of glory. There's only one God. He is the God of glory. And he does not allow his glory to be stolen. There's only one way that man finds God, and that's by man responding to God's initiative, reaching down, God reaching down. No one can find God unless they are willing to be done with their sin. They have to be willing to be done, finished, want nothing more to do with it. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study from the book of Genesis. God is calling us to himself. And that's what it says in Exodus 19.4 when he was explaining to the people of Israel what happened to them as he took them out of Egypt. It says, you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, Exodus 19.4, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. God says, I brought you unto myself. That's exactly the same words that the Lord used in John 14, 3, when he said he ought to prepare a place for you. He's going to come again to receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. Now, we come now in verse 29, and we read that the two surviving sons of Terah, Abram and Nahor, took wives, evidently in Ur, the Chaldee, and Abram's wife, his name is Sarai. That's what it says. It says they took wives. It never says they took husbands. It always says the husbands took wives. It makes, anyway, so much for courting. Uh, so they took the wives. And so before they left for Ur of the Chaldee, Abraham takes this wife, Sarai. And then we read in verse 30 of a tragedy, as we've mentioned in the family. We haven't mentioned this. This is the second tragedy. Verse 30 now, we come to the tragedy in the family of Abram. Verse 30 is very, very important. It stands alone and it speaks volumes about the heartache that we can only imagine is between this dear couple, Abram and Sarai, with these words, Sarai was barren. And in case we didn't understand, it goes on to say she had no child. It's like the Lord when he said, you know, he sleepeth. And finally he had to say he's dead. But anyway, it says Sarah was barren and she had no child. That was a terrible, terrible problem. It was a terrible stigma for Abram and Sarai. It's a terrible problem today. You know, scantibodies, we make one of the top fertility tests on the market called first response ovulation or first response OV. So, you know, you get these focus groups of infertile couples and you get them together and they're interviewed and to, so you can find out how you position this product on the market. And you think that with all the emphasis on contraception, that the real problem is couples trying not to get pregnant? I was surprised to learn how deep a problem this is. It affects, it looks like it affects one in four couples in the U.S. of infertility. It's very hard on couples with the thoughts of why can't we have children? What's wrong with us? What's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? Were we really meant for each other? Now, notice how this verse identifies God as the God of glory. He's not just God. He's the God of glory. That title is in stark contrast 
to the false gods that they had in that place of Ur of the Chaldees, the gods of fire and light and stars, because there's only one true God. We come now in verse 29, and we read that the two surviving sons of Terah, Abram and Nahor, took wives, evidently in Ur, the Chaldee, and Abram's wife, his name is Sarai. That's what it says. It says they took wives. It never says they took husbands. It always says the husbands took wives. It makes, anyway, so much for courting. It's a real, real problem. This is a no small burden for the young family of Abram and Sarai, which they carried until Abram was a hundred years old. That's a long time. So, verse 30 is really telling us of this deep tragedy in the home of Abram and Sarai. Now, in verse 31, it says that Sarah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law's son, Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan, and they came into Haran, and they dwelt there. So now verse 31 tells us that it was Terah, it was Abram's father, who left Ur and took Abram and Sarai and Lot, the son of his deceased son, with them. Now, we tend to think that God called Abraham and Ur of the Chaldees and Abraham to leave his place and leave his family. And then Abraham says, God's called me, I'm leaving, nothing's stopping me. You know, he's off and I'm off in obedience to God. But verse 31 tells it a little bit differently. Verse 31 tells us that Abram's father, Terah, left and took Abram with him. So what happened is that we know from what we've read in Joshua and Acts that God called Abram in Ur to leave Ur and his family, and then God caused Abram's father to want to leave, and Abram went along with his father. So the family, not under the leadership of Abram, but the family under the leadership of Terah left Ur, and that's interesting. Because it shows to us that God was working through the family. And there is a right way and there is a wrong way to follow God. And to use the call of God to be disrespectful to family, to parents, whether saved or not, is the not right way. It's the wrong way. And I still remember when Adina and Randy got, Wildman got married, it was July of 82, you probably remember, Gene. <laughs> and during their wedding ceremony, they did something I've never seen before. I haven't seen it since. They each addressed their new ma and pa and mom and dad and thanked them for the work that they did in training and instilling the knowledge of God in Adina and Randy. Maybe you remember that. I don't know. I remember it. Anyway, I've never seen that before. Now, God would have children respect their parents. And Abram, or Abraham, he respected his father. There's no indication that Abram conflicted with his father. There's no indication that God called his father. But this little family group, under the direction and leadership of Terah, moves into the land of Canaan, and it appears that Terah, you know, says... Here's where we're going to set up this here homestead here. He's Ben Cartwright. He's going to start the Ponderosa on the land of Canaan. (laughs) And he establishes the little community where they all settle down. And it appears that Terah never got over the death of his son, Haran. 
So Terah decides to name this new little village that he established after the name of his dead son, Haran. And that homestead of Haran will be a very important place in our history as we go forward because that is, will be the place where Abraham will send his servant Eliezer to go get a wife for his son Isaac, and that'll be Rebekah. She'll come, this will be her hometown, Haran. And that'll also be the place where Isaac's son Jacob goes to get a wife. Only he got more than one wife. But, you know, <laughs> nothing's perfect. Uh, Leah and Rachel. So Haran will be a very important place later on to get wives. If you need a wife, you go to Haran. So in verse 32, it says, And the days of Terah were 205 years. And then it says, Terah died in Haran. Now, chapter 11 closes with Abram and Sarai and Lot and Haran where they've been taken by Abram's father, Terah, and the last words of chapter 11 tells us that Terah dies there. He died in Haran. So, you remember now from Acts 7, 2 through 3, when God appeared to Abram and told him to get out of the country, and from his kindred, where was he? He was in Ur. That's what it says. He was in Ur. And God called him when he was in Ur. Before the family group left, he was called. And before he settled in Haran, he was called. And when Abraham actually leave his family, well, he left his family after his father died. As says, after his father was dead, he removed into this land. So that means that Abraham had the call of God in Ur, but there just wasn't the right way and the right time to follow God's call. And there's no indication, as we said before, that Terah had the call of God and there's no indication that Abram told anyone that the God of glory appeared to him in Ur and told him to leave. And there's no indication that Abram led the group, the family group, out of Ur. So first, God worked in the heart of Terah, and then Terah gets up one morning and says, we're leaving. And so he decides to leave and to take the family group out. So first, there has to be the right way for Abram to follow God, which was to wait for God to move in the heart of Terah, which he did. And second, there had to be the right time for Abram to leave his family, which was when Terah died. Abraham followed God, in this case, the right way and at the right time. And in order for Abram to have followed God the right way and the right time, Abram had to exercise patience. He had to wait for God to open the door. He didn't force the door open. He had to wait for God. He had to wait for the right way, and he had to wait for the right time, because that's God's righteous, and he does everything right, so God is the God of the right way. Now, was that a long time that he had to wait for God to open up? Uh, yeah, that was a long time. He had to wait a long time. And the longer you have to wait, the harder it is. Patience is never easy. Was it easy to wait? No. And so when God leads us, there is a right way and there is a right time for us to follow God. And for us to wait for the right way and to wait for the right time requires us to have patience to wait for God to open the door. We see this principle of patiently waiting for God to open the door with the right way, the right time. We see it especially in the life of Joseph. When did God tell Joseph that he'd be a ruler over his family? When? 
when he was a little boy, you know, okay? When he was a little boy in his family. And when did Joseph become the ruler over his family? <laughs> when he was a big man. <laughs> Many years later, after a slavery, after two prison terms, after a prime ministership, and one famine later. Right? So, it was a long time. Was that waiting time easy for Joseph? Well, it says how easy it was for him in Psalm 105, 17, where it says, he sent a man before him, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant, that's the one slavery, whose feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in iron, that's the prison terms, until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. That was the hardest time in Joseph's life. The time when his feet were put in iron shackles, when they go to put him in iron shackles, they didn't measure his feet and say, now what size shackle should we choose for you? <laughs> they took the smallest one because they don't want the smallest guy to escape. Anyway, so his feet are in these iron shackles. It hurt him. It was painful for him. And the pain in his feet, it says in this Psalm 105, was the time of his testing, the testing of his patience. That time in Joseph's life is called when the word of the Lord tried him. So the call that Joseph had from God to become the ruler of his family was for Joseph, the word of the Lord that he got when he was a little boy. He was just a little boy, and God put this call into Joseph's heart like God put an egg in an incubator. And during that incubation time, that waiting for the right way and the right time, it was a trial of faith for Joseph to believe God, even when it did appear like it wasn't going to happen, it wasn't going to be realized, until the time his word came, the word of the Lord tried him. And when Abram was still in Ur, God had put his call into Abram's heart like an egg in an incubator, and during that incubation time, waiting for the right way and the right time, it was the trial of faith for Abraham to believe God when it appeared like it wasn't going to happen. Until the time that his word came, the word of the Lord tried Abram. So from the time that God's call is given until when God opens the door, that's the trial period. And waiting for God to open the door is very important. And God wanted Abram to learn this principle. When God gives a call, wait for him to open the door. Because when he opens the door, it'll be the right way and the right time. And we'll see later in the study of the life of Abraham how vitally important it was for him to learn this principle after having the call of God to wait for God to open the door for the right way, the right time. And we'll see how God called Abraham to have a son, referring to Isaac. But after God told Abram that he is going to have a son, it was the waiting period. It was the trial of patience when Abraham, he was there waiting for God to open the door for the right way and the right time. But he didn't wait for God to open the door. And we feel the pain of verse 30 to understand why, where it says Sarah was burdened, she didn't have a child. And that word, but... It starts off in verse 30. It hits us pretty strong as a contrast to everybody else's having babies, but not Sarah. And so that word of promise that God gave to Abram and Sarah was a trial for Abram and for Sarah, because he gave it to both of them. And the question was, would Sarah wait for God to open the right door at the right time for her to have the son? And when Sarah didn't, 
and proposed to Abraham to have a child with their maidservant Hagar, Abram thinks, well, God said we're going to have a son. We haven't had a son, so I guess it's okay. But having a son with their maidservant Hagar was not the right way. And so it was not God's way. It wasn't the right time. So Hagar was not God's opening the door. That was Sarah and Abram's forcing the door open. And what a disaster that turned out to be. But finally, Abraham will successfully graduate from God's school of how to have the promise of God and wait for the right way and the right time. And Abraham's going to graduate from that school on Mount Moriah, where obeying God, Abraham raises his knife to sacrifice his only son Isaac, whom he loves, knowing that God will open the door for the right way and the right time for Isaac to live and to have children. And that right way and right time happened to be the hand of a restraining angel, and it happened to be the horns of a ram that was caught there and was offered a nice place. So what we'll see in the upcoming history of Abraham is a great man of faith and a friend of God, but what we've seen today in Genesis 11 and Joshua 24 and Acts 7 is a hidden history of Abram, a history of trials of faith. And when you study the history of great men of God, great men of faith, you find histories of the trial of faith, the trials of patience, like Hudson Taylor, who went to China and was promised by his missionary society that he would receive $33 a month, $400 a year, as salary, and the society failed to send him the money. And that was a trial of faith. He had a call to reach China, but how could he reach China if he couldn't even receive the $400 per year that was promised to him by the society? But he persevered, and in his 51 years of service there in China, he established 20 mission stations. He brought 849 missionaries over to work in China. He trained 700 Chinese workers, and he raised over $4 million. Not bad. Now, the Christian life of faith, it can be exciting, It can be vibrant, or it can be dead in orthodoxy. It can be dead in traditionalism. It just all depends on how much we are willing to take God at his word and to patiently wait on God to open the door, open his door for the right way and the right time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for being the God of Abraham And we want, Lord, this morning with all of our heart for you to be our God and us to be known as those who wait for you to open the door for the right way, the right time, and for that your call to us in our lives can be fulfilled to the glory of God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dad, today you talked about Hudson Taylor. As mom homeschooled us, she taught us three boys and gave us books about great missionaries like David Livingston and Adoniram Judson and Hudson Taylor. I remember growing up with our own adventures on our goat ranch and then reading about the adventures in the life of Hudson Taylor. I remember reading how Hudson Taylor established the great China Inland Mission and how he left for China with only a promise that he would receive $400 a year. Sometimes he didn't even receive that from the missionary society that sent him. I know that was a long time ago, but... I can't imagine setting off for China with just a promise to receive less than $8 a week. How was Hudson Taylor able to overcome his fears and set off for China with just a promise to receive about a dollar a day? You know, Hudson Taylor was able to do that 
because certain things became a reality for Hudson Taylor. First, the reality of God's Word. Hudson Taylor took God's Word seriously, as we should, to live on it. As it says in Deuteronomy 8.3, man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Hudson Taylor realized that inasmuch as I must have food to live and I want food, the Word of God is even more to me. And it's not just a sterile Word of God. It's a Word of God that I see proceeding right out of the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ. So first, Hudson Taylor took God's Word seriously, actually to the point of living on it. Second, Hudson Taylor heard the concern of God. God's concern was expressed in John 10, 16, when he said, and other sheep I have have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So for Hudson Taylor, this was not just a a knowledge that he had, this was a heart concern that he developed as he understood God's concern to bring other sheep which were far off. And then he heard God's commission where God said in Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He heard God saying to his own heart, you, Hudson Taylor, must go into the vast regions to beyond, into the far-flung areas of the world, into all the world. And you, Hudson Taylor, must preach the gospel to every creature, and that includes Chinese creatures as well. He personalized God's commission. When he read in Isaiah 6, 8, he identified with Isaiah who said, Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. So he heard the call of God. He heard God saying, I don't know who to send, so to speak. And then Hudson Taylor made his own decision. And that decision was, Then said I, Here am I, send me. He offered himself to go for God. And then you asked about the fears that he had. Of course, Hudson Taylor had fears as he looked into the unknown, going into a place where maybe never never a British person had ever gone into these parts of China. But he understood that he had what he needed, and what he needed was not the promise of the missionary society and the security and the money and the bank and everything for every contingency and every insurance that he might possibly need, but what he needed most of all is what God told Moses that he had as he went off into the unknown area, into the unknown of Egypt to deliver his people. When he said to him at the burning bush, this God said to Moses, and he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. God's promise of his presence was all that Moses needed. And God wanted to put that in Moses' pocket in such a way that he would never doubt that he had this promise when God said, certainly I will be with thee. And so Hudson Taylor understood 
that as he went off into China, that he also had the same promise that God made to Moses. And Hudson Taylor could say, I know God has said to me, as he said to Moses, certainly I will be with thee. Certainly I will be with thee. And that became such a reality to Moses that Moses later on said, if thy presence go not with us, send us not forth. And and so Hudson Taylor understood that when the great commission was given by the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says to go and teach and baptize, then he said, he said, lo, I am with you even unto the end of the world, unto the end of the age. I am with you. I will be with you. That's what Hudson Taylor needed. That's what Hudson Taylor had. The adventure of it all was how God was going to provide for him, which he so abundantly did that he established so many mission organizations, uh, sorry, so many mission stations throughout China. Why? Because God was with him. And last, Hudson Taylor lived for reward day. He lived for the day when he would hear, he wanted to hear with all of his heart, God say to him from Matthew 25, 21, his Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Hudson Taylor lived for that day and he spent his life. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Thank you for joining us today. Now, would you like to be obedient and hear the call of God to go to the Jewish people? Free from Israel Restoration Ministries and Tom Cantor, Tom Cantor's life story in DVD and booklet form so that you can hand to someone that you know. Maybe it's someone at a business, a friend, a neighbor, even a Jewish acquaintance, someone that needs to be reached with the gospel. We want to give that gift free into your hands to give to them. Call us today at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051 or fill out the online form at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Thanks for listening.